Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. I had 350 specialty stores, independent stores around the United States and Canada, and couldn't get a major uh, to pick it up. And Amy and I started doing some like secret shopper. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to approach meeting with a buyer at a retail store, what you can learn by becoming a secret shopper, and why you want to start as small as possible when selling into big box retailers. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Booz from Working Stiffs. Working Stiffs is the innovative accessories brand bridging the gap between fashion and function and was on ABC Shark Tank and was started in 2006 and based out of Sarasota, Florida. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, Felix. How you doing? Good, good. So yeah, excited to have you on. So tell us a bit more about your store and what are some of the more popular products that you carry? Yeah, so uh, workingstiffs.com, we, we carry men's, what we call, consider men's essentials. So it's actually men's accessories, but we put a, like an innovative twist to things. So there is that function and fashion, like you mentioned at the beginning. Um, so the, the product that we're known for, and I have a utility patent on, is the magnetic collar stays. So that's the product that put me on the map and started the whole journey. But we do RFID blocking wallets. We also do a silicone D-bag, as we call it, the only D-bag you're you want to travel with <laughs> and and it allows you to wash it out so if anything explodes in the bag doesn't get all over your luggage so these are the type of items we do tie bars and cufflinks and different things like that but these are the type of items kind of we bring to the table nice so do you have a background in in this industry in this fashion industry or how did you get started into this <laughs> that's a loaded question <laughs> well i said <laughs> well Going back, my family, we, you know, I grew up in a family-owned business, and it, and and my my grandfather was a farmer. My father did a lawn maintenance business. I'm I have an identical twin and two older brothers. But growing up, we were it was very you know strong work ethic, and and I always was the kid that came up with ideas, very entrepreneurial as a as a kid, mm-hmm. and um, I I kind of was the black sheep of the family. I went <laughs> I went the automotive route. I because I I love design and creativity. So I started doing, uh, went to a tech institute to learn collision repair and painting. So I used to do a lot of like custom motorcycles and cars and all these things. So that's kind of where my career path started actually as an automotive paint technician, which evolved into an insurance adjuster to being a general manager of some collision centers to the men's fashion industry. Wow, big jump. <laughs> Can you connect the dots? <laughs> That's funny. So, what? What? Uh, how did you decide that this was a market or industry that you wanted to get into? Yeah. So, what? What happened was um, at the time I was managing two collision centers for for a franchise down here in, in Florida, and um, I was running late for some dinner uh, a dinner that we had with you know with my wife, and I come home and she threw a shirt at me, and as I was putting on the shirt, and you know it was a a collared button-up shirt. The the collar was so huge and like spread out. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, this thing's horrible. And it, and my wife's like, what, you don't like the shirt? And I go, no, I like the shirt. It's the collar. And literally in the mirror, I had this aha moment of, hey, if I just pin the shirt down, the collar down, the, the, if the collar was here and not out here, 
man, this, this, it would be amazing. And literally, right then and there, I, I, it came up to my head, magnetic. If I can make the collar stay magnetically, and boom, that was it. And that's how I, and that's how I kind of entered with a product and a product idea. And I actually had brought the, brought it to my twin brother, um, the next day. And I said, Oh my goodness, I have this idea. And he goes, that is the simplest and stupidest idea. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't do it, I will. <laughs> so it gave me like the fuel to kind of go ahead and pursue it. But that it came from a very innocent place. Yeah, so you obviously had this need, you stumbled across essentially, or you came up with a, a solution for it, showed it to your twin brother. Did you go out and test it any other ways? Like, What motivated you to actually take those steps towards creating this product at scale and creating a business around it? Okay, so yeah, it's very interesting. It's like, you know, so you start going down the path of, you know, how do you get this thing manufactured and is there going to be interest and all these things? So what I did was very, you know, uh, archaic type of prototypes and, and, and we, we would sand metal down and because of my background in metal and sheet metal, uh, I had the stuff laser cut it. I'd sand it all down for smooth edges. And I was giving it to my, my twin brother. He, he had clients that were, you know, wealthy people, the attorneys' wives and doctors' wives and stuff like that. So I said, "Hey, show it to them." You know, because these are people that are going to be in the men's industry that's going to care about the way they look. And uh, it was like an immediate reaction, right? And they said, "Oh my goodness, where can I buy these?" And my brother would say, "Well, they're 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 not out yet. They're, my, my brother invented this product, so that kind of that kind of spun off right away to get it patented." And so then we went down that that rabbit hole to get it uh, patented, which took a few years. But uh, we did uh, our utility patent had published probably about three years later. But what I did was I did I, I did go to market a little early before the patent published. So when we got the response, and then I had to go get you know find out real manufacturing and work all that out. That that whole process took about a year, a good year, maybe a year and a few months. And um, so then it was. I've got 12,000 units sitting in my garage. What am I going to do with these things, right? They're all, I designed the packaging and the boxing and all this stuff. And we didn't have, you know, a, a clientele for this stuff. We mm -hmm. just knew that, you know, it was a viable product. So literally what had happened was um, one day I had quit my day job and came home. And my wife at the time, our son was 10 months old. And um, my wife says, oh, what do you mean you quit your job? And she's like, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to go sell those collar stays. I said, go get dressed up. And like any entrepreneur, I literally strapped my 10-month-old in the car seat. She jumped in the car, drove to a, a men's specialty store here in Sarasota uh, called The Met. And I sent her in to do the dirty work. <laughs> and she sold, she sold them. And right away came out and she says, uh, the gentleman inside, he's the owner of the store. And he says, you know, how did you get this job? And, you know, this is, this is an amazing product. And, and she says, oh, my, my husband's the inventor and he's out in the car. And she brought him out outside. And that was the beginning. I mean, like he basically said, oh, you need to go see this one. You need to go see that one. And, and up in Tampa, which is about an hour drive north. So we literally from there went to Tampa. So you were just sitting on this inventory for a while while you had your, your day job and just 
not sure exactly what to do with it. Like, what, 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 what was going on with the, the products at the time prior to you uh, quitting your day job and trying to go out and sell it? I knew, I knew when I talked, I, I, went, I went way forward. So I'll, go, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit. So I was managing two collision centers. You know, As this whole idea came up, I'm, I'm, I'm perfecting prototypes. I, I get with a, a, a manufacturer to start kind of making the product to, to sell. My wife was pregnant at the time. And she, when she had my son, Aiden, she was all intentions to go back to work and and then didn't want to leave the baby. So you got this whole family dynamic, you know, we're you know, our, our firstborn. And um, I, I went ahead and had the inventory made because I knew like I need product to sell. If I don't have anything to sell, what am I selling air? Mm-hmm. So I need, I need to invest in product. So the whole, the whole beginning of this was very, it, it, it came from a very honest place. All it was to do was, you know, maybe we'll sell some collar stays and supplement income, Amy, that, that, you know, you left your job. We're just going to supplement some income. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened was, um, you know, we were at the time we had a one page website and a, a buy now button. It was something that I designed. It was, you know, I, I'm not no webmaster. One page website, buy now button. We're getting like one click a day trying to get exposure trying to get anyone a magazine to like pick us up gq men's vogue you know men's health anything right and it was all falling on kind of like deaf ears and it was it was kind of weird because we're kind of like well you know this you know we feel that this product's amazing and what had happened was uh uncrate.com uh picked us up they didn't even let us know that they 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 you know because you're you're basically throwing spaghetti against the wall just to get someone to to you know write about you mm-hmm. right and literally i'd come home every day amy how many did we sell you sold one the next day how many did we sell you sold one and this went on for about two weeks and then i come home from work and i go hey amy how many did we sell and she goes i don't know take a look at the website you probably sold one and i went to the website and it was like and it, you know back then it was all about paypal right so it was like you've got money you've got money you've got money i'm like huh it was over 200 orders wow I literally was like laughing and crying at the same time because I'm like, it was so painful to process an order back then. So, um, and we, you know, we obviously muscled through it, but we knew to kind of get to scale, it had to get to stores for us. So back then, again, there was like no Facebook and Twitter. It's not like it was. I mean, it sounds like, right? It sounds like I'm talking about the 1920s or something. Yeah. But <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it was it was a little bit of a different time uh, on on that end. So we knew, you know, I knew I had a viable product because I just had 200 orders. People were starting to email us like, "This is amazing." We started having stores email us, "How do I get this in my store?" So that kind of was what prompted me to quit my job and to kind of go all in. I had a good gut feeling that, hey, look, if this is resonating, if we can get it into some stores and that's kind of where the bootstrapping went in. And so that, you know, to kind of now fast forward, that's where it was like, I quit my day job. I was having, you know, just like any working guy or gal, you know, promises made promises broken. You stick in there, you stick in and promises made promises broken. And I was like, I had enough. Look at, I got 12,000 units sitting in my garage. If I can sell these things and, and focus on it, I'll be fine. You know, me and my family will be fine. So that's, that's kind of, it was just came from a very honest place. I mean, so it started as supplementing income came to let's conquer evil collars around the world. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I see. So you already knew that there was a demand for this. You just knew that if you had the time to focus on it, you could really scale this up. And you knew that that at the time, the the I guess the channel for it was to go directly to retail. So let's go. Let's fast forward to that point. You approached the first store, or your wife approached the first store. <laughs> they were really excited about it, which made you realize, like, wow, this is actually a a viable avenue to go down. What was your plan then moving forward? Was it just to hit up as many stores in Florida as possible to carry your brand? Correct. Correct. My, my family is uh, originally from New York, so we're from Long Island. So um, from Florida, you know, we kind of went through the rounds here. You, know, you got to understand, we didn't know men's specialty stores. I never even stepped foot in the, some of these stores. They're very, you know, they're higher end. They, they, they can be a little, you know, scary <laughs> because you're, you're dealing with, you know, price points that are way above my pay grade at that mm-hmm. point. And um, so we knew the next step would really like, hey, if this is working in Florida, we need to get to a bigger market. So when I went to New York to where my family uh, is and um, literally started doing the same thing and uh, we went and we got a lot of no's. So in Florida, it was yes, 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 yes. In New York, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> and, and we ended up in a store uh, in Huntington that said yes. And at that time, that store, which we did not know, you know, you, you don't just walk into these stores and and get product placed. You know, they're like, oh, you know, you have to meet with one of our buyers. And I'm like, what's a buyer? I had no, I, we had no clue, right? And it ended up to be uh, uh, a store that that's kind of like a flagship store in the menswear industry. So when they brought us in, that was kind of like the seal of approval, if you will. Uh, we did our very first trade show from, from, from the 200 units plus from uncrate to our trade to, to, you know, bootstrapping it to our first trade show. That was in a period of about five to six months. And when we did our first trade show, that's when we really got the attention, um, from stores. So mm-hmm. stores were, stores were really the first, you know, kind of, it was dot com, one page website in specialty stores. And then we had one big main dot uh, comer back then. It, it was a it was a company called OnTheFly.com. They were they were an online only men's specialty store. So you can kind of see like we were seeing that someone that does dot com right can do a lot of volume, right? We weren't we weren't really known. He you know on the fly at the time had all these cool men's products from. You know, shirts and pants and suits to cufflinks and this, that, and the other. So the collar stays fit right in. And he had, you know, he had the, the database, right? To, to get out there. So that was, he was one of our biggest, well, our, our only and biggest, uh, dot com, uh, conduit at that point. Gotcha. So kind of want to lay out the strategy again. You first hit up these specialty stores and then you got a lot of yeses in Florida. Maybe we'll start there actually. In 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 the stores that you had early success with, could you just walk into the store and sell directly to the the person I guess working at the store itself? Or did you have to meet with a buyer and go through the same process that you went through in New York? Okay. So yeah, basically we would walk in and say, you know, obviously yeah, well, Amy would. <laughs> and the thing is, look at Amy, my wife is, is, uh, you know, people say, hi, well, how did you get her? And I always say, well, that was <laughs> 20 years and 50 pounds ago. Um, so, <laughs> but she's very, you know, 
people stop and look, hey, she's a cute girl, and but she speaks very well and she can sell. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of like of her background. So in men's in a men's store, they would stop and talk to her. When I went to New York, it was me and my twin brother. You know, and mm-hmm. we thought like, oh, two identical twins walk into a store, right? You know, the beginning line of a joke, and we would get a no. We would get a no. And Josh would say to me, well, how did Amy get all these yeses? I said, I don't know, maybe because she's a girl. I, 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 don't, I don't know. But I think the difference was, was in, in Florida, it, it's not as much, it's a little more laid back and casual. So you can walk in and ask for a manager or the store owner, and more likely than not, you're going to be able to talk to them. And those guys are the decision makers. In New York, you have to. There's layers of people, and there's a more of a structure, I guess you can say, to the to the organization. Even if it's a small store, they're like, "Oh no, no, no! You know, so and so is not here. You have to go through this. You got so there's a lot more red tape, right. and that's kind of more what it was. It was just, you know, it was the uh, the market's different. That, I mean, and it's just a different attitude, if you will. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's say that you you do have to go through meeting with a buyer. How do you recommend people approach a store to try to secure a meeting with a buyer? Is it just to walk in and ask for a meeting with them? Like, what's the the best, I guess, approach to getting a meeting with them? I think I think you know. I, I, again, we're only talking ten years ago, so I, I don't think you know. My right arm, Ken. Um, Ken will say, well, you know, that was so many years ago and you walked in the stores, you know, you don't do that today. And it's like, well, again, it's not, it wasn't the 1920s or thirties. Look at people like to do business with people mm-hmm. when you're trying to get something off the ground. It is all about the product, right? If you don't have a great product or something that's going to disrupt an industry, yeah, you know, people go, yeah, whatever, you know? So, but if you have something that's great and you got to get in front of people, I'm a big believer in direct contact. I mean, we live in a world where it's all about emails and text messages. And, the, and so the human element kind of gets lost. So it's like, how do you break through and, and connect? And, and a lot of that is as simple as a phone call. And, you know, you got to understand these buyers, especially like in department stores, these guys are very busy. They're all going omni-channel. So they got a lot on their plate. And so the, you've, got, you've got to stand out from the crowd. So it's more than a one direct line of offense it's kind of you know it's a phone call it's an email it's a, it's a package and it's all these things that together will get you a phone call back um especially again you know kind of preferences this with that you know you have to have uh, a good product mm-hmm. but i think it's i tell people it's one foot in front of the other i think even for working stiffs it's it hasn't been like you, you hear about these um actors that are famous and they go yeah you know, I'm a 15 year overnight success, right? right? And it's kind of, it's kind of like the same thing. It's like you do all these little things that make you successful, and then when you find out what is successful, you know, I'm a big believer in replicating it. And it doesn't work on, you know, it doesn't work on across the board um, because you do have different markets and different kind of attitudes within regional geographic areas. But if you can replicate something and understand why it's working and why it's not working, it'll kind of help you break through. But again, I think that, you know, going back to with buyers, it is, it is more difficult. I will say it is more difficult today than it was 10 years ago. And I think the reason being, especially when you get into bigger stores, is that, you know, a lot of people um, or a lot of stores have streamlined the way they do things. So when they used to have regional buyers for a store with a couple of assistants, 
you're talking now they've they've streamlined that down to national buyers with one assistant right so it's harder to kind of get their attention mm-hmm. but yeah you, you know you have to think outside the box i mean like there's so many people that and and you can't take no for an answer i mean that's the other thing a lot of people hear no and they get deflated it's like you're going to hear no you're going to i mean i i i love hearing no and i love you know figuring out how to get them to say yes or to you know, position myself for the best opportunity to partner with the store. And that's the other thing that I'm a big believer in. It's it's a partnership, you know, it's got to be a win-win. It's not a a lopsided, you know, event that happens. It's, It's really kind of embracing and understanding who your customer is. So I know you haven't asked, I'm going to, I'm going to say something that might jump a little bit <laughs> Please. When we, when, <laughs> you know you always want that big store right the, the department store or whatever within the industry that you're in so for us it was like you know how do we get into a, a neiman's or nordstrom or Saks or bloomingdale's and what was interesting is uh, we were trying to contact all these people i think i the nordstrom gave me a shot i was about three years in uh, in business, I had 350 specialty stores, independent stores around the United States and Canada, and couldn't get a major uh, to pick it up. And Amy and I started doing some like secret shopper. So once you start kind of understanding why is it in the, working in these specialty stores and these mass department stores, these majors aren't latching on. So we do secret shopping, and I realized Nordstrom really, our culture is very well fit. They're like a, a big specialty store and they're really customer service oriented. And they didn't care if I walked in with flip flops or if I walked in a, with a three piece suit, they treated me the same. And I said, this is the, this is the place we want to be. And I think this is our best shot. And so we focused and we focused for about a year on Nordstrom and then finally got the meeting with them. And it was like they changed the landscape of working stiffs, they, they brought us to the next level. We literally, you know, they tested us in, in 24 doors. And within three months, we we're in 77. And by the end of that year, we we're in all doors, Nordstrom. And then what happens is once you're on that, you know, in a major like that, what I didn't realize is other majors are, are also doing the same type of thing. They're secret shopping stores to see what's the next hottest item that maybe their competitor has that mm-hmm. they don't. Yeah. So it was like, it was, it was kind of an eye opener. All of a sudden I started getting phone calls from Neiman Marcus and Saks. It was the weirdest. I like Felix. I'm you're like, holy smokes. What do you, <laughs> you know, this is amazing. <laughs> so that, you know, I, I spent, I went and saw 88 Nordstrom stores. Um, I literally was talking to the sales floor, let them know that it's a husband and wife with at that time, my son was three or four years old that, you know, this isn't a, a big company and this is our livelihood. So I was fortunate enough and Nordstrom was gracious enough to give me the opportunity to literally go into their home or stores, right? And kind of shake the hands of the people that were selling my product and really getting passionate about the product. So it, it, it resonated. So it did really well. And, and that's kind of what kind of opened up more doors. And then Shark Tank saw the product at Nordstrom and that's how that, that kind of rolled out and happened. 
Yeah, that's amazing how the just the validation, the I guess the co-signing of a major brand or a major store like Nordstrom in your case just starts like a, a snowball effect of so many more people paying attention to you. And I bet doors that were closed to you before all of a sudden are now open because a big brand or big store like Nordstrom started carrying you guys, started uh, vouching for for your product. Um, so this this one year of working and focusing on trying to get into Nordstrom's was it like an active every day you had to be doing something to make progress towards it or was it more of a waiting game what was that one year like so it, within that one year of focus you got to you got to realize that three you know three years have had passed you know we, we end up in an industry we knew nothing about and we really got educated on the inner workings of how this actually works you know you it's not typical that somebody's just going to walk into a specialty store and actually pitch a product and this, that, and the other. I, I think real entrepreneurs do those type of things, and that's what separates a lot of people from others. Is that and and you and you hear the nose and you keep going. You don't just like crumble. So the, those three years were cr- crucial, and it was funny because I, I looked back and I said, you know, if if Nordstrom at any other time came in, would we have been as successful as we mm-hmm. were at that point? And I want to say. Probably not. You know, by that time we understood what we needed to do. So that year kind of looked like it was like a balancing act of like you say, you know, were you doing something daily? Were you was it a sit and wait? It was kind of both, right? And at the time, they Nordstrom had regional buyers. They had five regional buyers across the United States, but men's accessories was done by one national buyer, and the buyer happened to be female. And we knew our hurdle was with women. Because it was kind of like you're talking foreign. It's like, oh, it's a magnetic collar stay, and we have a patent on it, and and hit a button on your collar, and they'd go, we, I, I don't get what you're talking about. So it's kind of like asking us, you know, hey, where, where's some, you know, women's pantyhose, and these are the best pants, and we're gonna go, we don't, we don't get it, right? So we knew that we had to like, that was a hurdle for us. So <clears throat> we would reach out from time to time. Uh, keep it on like a schedule. Didn't want to be annoying, obviously, and we would do again in different ways, right? You would. You would write a letter with the product. Please hand them out to your associates within the office. Uh, you know, guys really love this product, this, that, and the other. Uh, then you'd follow it up with an email, and then you'd maybe make a phone call. And most of the times you'd leave a message, right, because you can't get them on the phone. So all this stuff would happen. Well, we ended up on their radar. So, um, and we also, I also, what was the icing on the cake was I met a gentleman in Miami that I was doing a project for, he was doing a, he was a neckwear designer that was now doing a shirt line and he was selling all his neckwear in Nordstrom. So I was doing a project for him. I drove to Miami and I'm talking to him about the project. And he said to me, why aren't you in Nordstrom? And I said, Oh, well, here's the deal and you know, here's the buyer and this. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let me contact one of the regional buyers for you. And he did. And they heard of us, right? But nothing, you know, it was, nothing was done. So we, we made an appointment and kind of broke through, through Daniel who, who said, Hey, they're going to be at this trade show. And that's how we, that's how we were able to meet one buyer. Well, that one buyer that came in started telling the other buyers, I just saw this product. Well, many of them heard of it, but never like literally sat in front of us or seen it. And it kind of, and it snowballed. It snowballed within, within the buyers in New York. We're at the, at a trade show in New York. And they heard of it because you guys were for that year or I guess over the three years were just working on trying to get in front of them. Is that how they, they heard of you? 
Yeah, I think it was it was twofold. It was again, it was yeah, we're trying to get into the door. So, you know, people hear of things or an assistant, you know, you, there's obviously like any business and actually large businesses, you know, people move around, right? So, an assistant that you don't know about here knows of something and and then they get transferred to here and so the, the, and then they knew that we that this product was in specialty stores. So, that you know, it was kind of, I think it was twofold. It was like they heard of it kind of internally. They kind of, you know, they've seen it or heard of it in specialty store. But, you know, a major doesn't, you know, especially when someone, like you said earlier, like when they put their, like their stamp of approval on you, it's, it's not only about the product. I think it's about the people. Like, you know, so they, they want to know like who you are and you got to get that time in front of them to get your personality across to say, Hey, look at this is what the brand represents. And, and well, at the time it was a product, right? It really wasn't a brand, but, um, so I, but I think, I think it's multifaceted. I don't think it's just one linear way, like boom. But I think you know, the phone call with Daniel to them and that kind of introduction really kind of broke way where like one person said, you know what? I'll stop by and see them. Mm-hmm. Boom. They stop by. You just talk to them open and honestly, here's the product. And all of a sudden you can see the look on their face like, oh my God, this is awesome. <laughs> and then <laughs> and the next thing you know, another buyer comes in. Oh, Kristen just sent me here. Right? And it's like snowball oh, hey. effect again. That's amazing. So, exactly. Now, now you mentioned earlier about how you don't want to just be another vendor to these stores. You want to develop a partnership with them. So during this, I guess when you had when you're working with the specialty stores, and also when you had the the initial test with Nordstrom, what do you what do you do to increase your I guess success of making a good first impression or doing well on the the initial test? I believe in less is more. So. Um, and that has proven true even to this day. So no matter how big you get, like, you know, you, you look at, you look at a, a company, let's say has a thousand doors and you go, Oh man, I want to be in all thousand doors. The best thing to do is actually go in small, go in small targeted to like the best doors. Hey, we want to be in your A and B doors. And instead of a thousand doors, I'd like to be in 50 of them. And I want to do 50 really well, get to learn, uh, the way they you know, that company and, and, uh, store does things, uh, even on a logistical, uh, end because, you know, mm-hmm. we do our own fulfillment here. So I have a warehouse and we do our own fulfillment. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, kind of ins and outs that you have to learn, you know, with EDI and different things. So I always believe, you know, what you don't want to do is end up getting excited about what, what the purchase order can be right up front. You want to build some legs under you because if you if you go into like, hey, I'm going to go into 500 of your doors and they say yes, if anything goes sideways, it's it's a, it's a big oopsie daisy. Mm-hmm. So you'd rather go in smaller, understand all the little caveats and kind of hurdles, fix you know, make sure that you understand them, can leap over them, fix anything that needs to be fixed, and then expand out from there. I mean, they're always going to be if your product is successful and it's all you know these days, it's all about sell through. So, you know, you got it. You, you have to have a good sell-through rate. If you go into 500 doors and, you know, 80% of those doors are underperforming, it brings down the other 20% that are, that are, that are doing excellent with your product. So you kind of want to go in with your best foot forward on both sides of the table, right? And there's the partnership. Hey, we'd like your best doors that are going to help us succeed. And we're going to put our total focus on those doors to make it succeed. And then that's the partnership. And then you can work on, 
you know, growing it from there. Awesome. So now after the success of Nordstrom and all these other majors started paying attention to you, that's when I think you're saying you got the attention of ABC's Shark Tank. So tell us about that experience. What did you go in looking for? What kind of deal did you end up going looking for? And what happened by the end of it? All right, Felix, boy, that's all right. So that was (laughs) (laughs) I was on season two. And uh, so it was kind of a different experience, I think, than, than most maybe have today. Um, I got a phone call. I was going, I was in New York in a cab going to my very first meeting with Saks Fifth Avenue. And I get a phone call from the casting director of, of Shark Tank. Uh, they saw the product. One of the producers or something saw the product at Nordstrom, blah, 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 blah. You know, would I be willing to, you know, audition for Shark Tank and this, that, and the other. So... Obviously, that was a yes. <laughs> and um, I was looking really, you know, specifically, I wanted a partner with Damon because he was in the you know, fashion industry. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't remember exactly what I went into the tank asking for. But what I do know and what people most know me for is kind of combating with, with Damon. And um, <laughs> I was on set for over an hour. So they, they take that hour of... taping time and they edit it down to seven minutes so there's a lot of things that happen on set that you don't get to see and you know like reality it's reality i mean there's no script to it um walked out of the tank with with not such a great deal uh damon and barbara came on board and then there's negotiations after shark tank so i mean the, the 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 deals you see on air get negotiated out behind the scenes and for me at that time um I had different objectives, like, you know, uh, we just didn't see eye to eye with, you know, they wanted to, um, Damon really wanted to license out my intellectual property to other brands. And I wanted to build a brand. I mean, at the time I was collar stays and cufflinks. That's all I, and that, that was it. Um, so, you know, he understood and we, we actually have a business relationship to this day where I, you know, I do cufflinks for him, but, um, you know, we just kind of like, a deal never happened in real life because we just couldn't see eye to eye on how we wanted to roll this thing out. I've heard that most of the, or not most, but a lot of deals actually yeah, don't work out after the, the show airs. Um, did did the, did the publicity from Shark Tank, even in season two, did it help you with, uh, with any sales or any business for, from there on? Yeah, I think so. They, they've replayed at one time. I know my, my segment was like one of the most aired segments in Shark Tank. I don't know where it's at now, but I, I feel like I should get residuals at this point. So, <laughs> <they can't laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you get a spike up again. I don't think, you know, they do replays now with that show, my, you know, the older shows on CNBC. So I think today being on Shark Tank is a different experience and a different, uh, market share than it was, you know, man, I, I aired in 2011. So you're looking at five, six years ago. Um, so I think it's a different thing, but yeah, we do. We, when they replay it or whatever, we'll see a spike up in sales online for sure. Uh, the other thing that was big was after shark tank, it got us on, I was on the, the product was on the today show for father's day then for holiday. And then again, the next year father's day and then holiday again. So we're on, the Today Show and their gift segments and stuff. And that really, the Today Show really is what did it for us online. I mean, the online sales, I mean, like a two-second mention, uh, Chuck Nice said, it's like Viagra for your shirt collar. <laughs> and, nice. And, oh, 
it was like thirty thousand dollars in like under three hours on on com. So it was amazing that little that 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 was our first like major direct correlation between something happening on air and sales to that magnitude. Now, I mean, so that was back in 2011 and 2012. I think now if you're on Shark Tank, you, we would, if we, if, you know, if that didn't happen in season two and we were on it today, I have a feeling that's what you would see today. You know, that kind of big push, uh, you know, our collar stays, you know, the $40. So you have to do a lot of $40 transactions to get to 30 grand. So, but you know, it, it, it is about exposure. I mean, I think, you know, the dot com today, uh, the landscape's changing, as you can see in, in the retail world. And I think entrepreneurs have a great opportunity to kind of take hold of their own destiny on dot com. Um, I think it's a little different than, than it was. I mean, we, we didn't adopt Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. We didn't, I didn't adopt that stuff early on when it was all kind of hitting. Um, I was very in store focused, but you know, for the past year, year and a half, we've been dot com focused. And that was the switch that we were the one page website I talked about earlier and, and which, you know, uh, increase to two or the three pages. <laughs> we, we were building this thing on Magento, but when we switched to Shopify, it was a game changer for us. Uh, and I'm not getting paid by Shopify to say that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell you, it was, it was almost an immediate difference. And the re, and we, we chose to go with Shopify because of the, the integration of different apps and how to kind of make the, the web experience more robust. It was it, dude, it was just amazing the difference. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll close out on that. What what is uh, what are some of the apps or tools and uh, services that 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 you guys rely on a lot to, to help run the business? So I mean, right now we're, we're definitely very social, socially uh, oriented, you know, on Facebook and Instagram and, and that stuff. But as far as apps, the things that we're seeing that really kind of help us um, move the needle is like the upsell app. Uh, we, 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 we use an upsell app on it and we use a, um, uh, a, you know, a special discount app on, on different things, but we really see like the upsells work, right? So it's like, we know we have to, we have like over 200 SKUs now and we do a lot of different products and it's, how do you capture the guy that's coming in for college days and make him into a, a guy that's going to buy a silicone D bag? And, uh, you know, both great products and how, but how do you bridge that gap? And we find like through the upsell app and offering a discount to capture that person is, is very useful. I mean, the thing that we look at every day, that's an, another great feature with Shopify is that as simple as it sounds, it's just this, the mobile Shopify app. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm probably, my wife will probably say I'm addicted to it, but it's like, I mean, I'm always looking at it as, as you know, throughout the day. Um, watching, you know, the numbers and the visitors and this, that, and the other. Now, you know, I have a guy that, uh, Dylan handles all our social media. He handles all our, our digital end of, of working stiffs. But, um, you know, I'm still addicted to that because, you know, for an entrepreneur, it's all about the numbers, right? And making sure, mm-hmm. you know, everything's firing on all cylinders. Awesome. So workingstiffs.com is a website. W U R K I N S T I F F S dot com. Um, where, where do you want to see the brand go in the next year? Where do you want to focus on in, in I guess, 2017? Yeah, so we're, we're again, we're really focused on direct-to-consumer. Um, so it's all about product development for us. So we're really kind of carving out this niche of 
innovative uh, men's products. So instead of maybe like we right now, we say, oh, it's men's essentials. It's more like men's necessities. And it's all, you know, it's the little things that count for, for we'll, we'll, we'll probably never see us really get involved in like clothing perhaps, but we really believe that it's those little items that mean a lot to guys and guys love gadgety things. So for us, again, it's, it's all about product development and, um, and getting direct to the consumer with an experience that's maybe different than you're going to see in store. Because in store, you're not going to see the whole breadth of, of a brand. It doesn't work like that anymore. They cherry pick items. So the dot com is the platform to really show the brand and the breadth of the brand. So you, you, you gotta, that experience has to transcend over a computer screen into their living room. So that's kind of what we're really focusing on this year is the presentation from uh, from the dot com, as you know, it digitally, and then when you receive the product, how that is represented, uh, you know, representative of the brand in, in the guy's hand. Awesome. So again, workingstiffs.com. Anywhere else that you recommend listeners go and check out now that you're focused more online? As far as what? <laughs> well, I guess, you know, are you guys big on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? What's the, the kind of main channels that people can follow along with uh, these new, I guess, products that you guys might be putting out? So it's definitely our .com. I think we're, we're, we're heavy into Instagram. Uh, we, we love to reach people and have people reach us as far as, you know, their interaction with the brand and, and tell their story. So I know, I know Dylan's pushing a big initiative to kind of reach out to the fellow working stiffs out there and, and getting their take on different types of style and, and, and their kind of uh, relationship with our brand and kind of, we're doing like a big reach out that that's some of the initiatives that you'll see this year. We're going to get a lot more focused with the relationship with our customers and fellow working stiffs uh, as we have in the past with our stores. Awesome. Thanks again so much for your time, Jonathan. Workingstiffs.com. And yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Felix. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. When we first launched the second campaign, I mean, I think we made like $60,000 in a day and a half. Like it was immediately the, the people who were there the first time who were excited, they immediately jumped back in. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.